Amen. Oh, there you are. There you are. It scared me for a second there. It's all dark in here. Um, so I was driving over this morning, and, um, you know, it's a little snow on the ground. And some, you guys know that uh, we, some of you know that we lived out in Colorado for a while. And just kind of got remi- reminding me of, back in Colorado, the first snow, it's never a dusting, okay? It's always, you know, a foot or more. Um, and so I always remember we're driving, you know, you start snowing, you turn the radio on, and there is a pileup. I mean, there is one car after another, semi-trucks, all slammed up to take pictures of it. It's all, in fact, my sister-in-law got caught in one of those and had some ongoing injuries because of it. But it's just, this, you know, just one car after another, semi-truck sliding into semi-truck. And I don't know about you, but maybe you're feeling like that's how your life is going. That it's one thing after another. One difficult situation, one crash and burn situation after another. I think we've all probably experienced that in our lives at one time or another. Maybe some of you guys are experiencing that today. But whatever the case, um, we've probably dealt with that. And the question is, how do we respond to something? It says, uh, people have said that actions speak louder than words. And so you can tell a lot about a person or people as they go through difficult times. And what you can really see is, you know, how much are they trusting in God? How deep is their trust in God and what God is doing? This morning, we have three great examples that we can actually compare as to how these different individuals, Joseph, Judah, his son, who's going to be representing the brothers, and Joseph, and how they dealt with the pileups in their life, the difficult times that they've gone through. So go ahead and turn to uh, Genesis 42. It's page 46 if you're using the Bible there. And uh, we're going to fly through three chapters. But as you uh, turn there, I just need to remind us of a few things. And I keep on reminding us of this because on Monday, or maybe even this afternoon, when you go home and the pileups begin, or you begin to start evaluating the pileups in your life that you're currently in, there's a tendency for us as humans to forget these things. And so we need to remember that no matter what we're going through, no matter how good it is that we think it is anyways, or how bad we think it is, God is always working His will, what we call His sovereign will in our lives. He's always doing it. Day in, day out, every single circumstance, including the scrambling that I put myself through when we thought that the Uh, baptismal was not going to be heated this morning. So the last time we did baptisms, we realized the heater didn't work. And so uh, it was cold. And so this time we're like, well, we think it's going to work. Long story short, I was was running, scrambling. Uh, We were supposed to have somebody in this miscommunication. And so then it was like, oh boy, what are we going to do? And Lord, just in his grace, worked it out. We actually have hot water. Um, So I'm not saying he you know, reached down with a lightning bolt and he didn't do that. I mean, look, the ceiling's fine. Um, but anyways, through a series of you know, circumstances, we have, a hot, we have hot water. It was hot. I know, but I'm still like, whew. Anyways, so point is, God's always working out his sovereign will. What is his sovereign will? We've talked about this in our Recalibrate series. You have to go back and you can find that. And, but just really quickly is God's made some promises in the Bible. And those promises are things that he's going to do no matter what we do, no matter how we respond. He's going to, have, he's going to do certain things no matter what. 
And it's our responsibility. Do we want to join him in that and experience the blessings that come from that and the joy and the confidence that comes from that? Or do we want to say, no, I got this on my own. But the problem is, it's still going to happen. Okay? And so um, there's other things that he said that, you know, we can pick and choose and that kind of stuff. But his sovereign will is something he's always going to do. One of those is that he was going, he told Abraham, this guy in the Old Testament, he's going to um, bless him and he's going to make his uh, descendants a great nation. And through that great nation, we're going to have the world blessed. So Joseph is one of Abraham's descendants. And so as Joseph goes through his pileups, as he goes through all of his stuff, and again, if you haven't been here in the last few weeks, you have to go back and read Genesis 37 and, and up to where we're at today because he has gone through a lot. He's been sold by his brothers into slavery. He uh, was um, put in charge, but then the, the, late, the guy's wife accused him of sexual harassment, and then, so the husband put him in prison, and so he was in prison unfairly, and then he, he was forgotten in prison by some other guy, and it's just been one thing after another for him. But Joseph, he kind of went through those things trusting God. He kind of did things the way God said to do them, and he, even though he had some struggles, even though he was doing it God's way, he still had struggles, he still did that. He continued to do it God's way, trusting that God was going to work through this situation, however God was going to work through this situation. But here's the deal. He didn't know that he was going to be a great nation or part of God's plan for the great nation. He didn't necessarily know all that. We know that because we're reading back into the story. He doesn't. He's just waking up on Monday morning in prison, knowing that he was unfairly put there, and he was waking up on Tuesday morning in prison knowing he was unfairly put there because his brother sold him into slavery. I mean, he's, he sees what he's, you know, he's gone through what he's gone through. He doesn't see the future. And he stays faithful because he's, and he's learning about who God is. And now Israel is important to us because God said, I'm going to bless the world through Israel. We know Jesus Christ, God the Son became man, Jesus Christ, and he was born into the Jewish nation. And so it's important to us about, about Israel, right? We have our Savior who came, which we're going to be celebrating, by the way, coming up here next month. For you and me, slightly different. And that is, God created us because He wants to reveal Himself to us. He wants us to know Him. He's the greatest being ever. And, he, and the greatest thing for us is to know the greatest being forever. And so He wants to reveal Himself to us. That's always happening in our lives. No matter what we go through, no matter how good or bad we think it is, God's allowing it to happen so he can reveal himself to us. How great of a God he is, how good of a God he is. Um, the fact that he meets all of our needs, uh, the fact that uh, he is our wisdom, he is our, our peace, that he is our comfort, that he is our consolation, which Kim showed me a verse yesterday out of Psalm 95. It was so good. You know, if I spend time with God, he becomes my consolation. He consoles me. You're never consoled by a thing. Only people can console people, and only people can console people if people are with the people, right? And so only we can be consoled by God if we're going to be with God, spend time with God in his word and know him. And so he wants to reveal himself. Now, if you're here this morning, if you're listening on the podcast, and you're like, well, I, you know, I don't even know this God. Well, one of the reasons why God's allowing you to go through what you're going through is because he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you to see that, hey, I can't do this life alone. And you might tell everybody else, yeah, I've got this, I can handle this, but you know in your own heart that you can't do it, that you're not doing it, that it's difficult and it's hard, and you're wondering, how am I going to get out of this mess? And God's like, hey, 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 whoa, here, 
I'm here. I'll be, just let me be your God. Let me restore our relationship. Accept my gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And then we'll be in relationship and now I can be your God and I can help you and I can provide for you. You can find out how great of a God I am. And if you've already done that, what God's doing is he's, he's trying to help you and me to become more like Jesus Christ. We all love Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was an awesome man. He's also God. And so he wants us to become like him. We're not going to become gods. We've been accused of saying that here. No, we're not going to become gods. But we can become more like Jesus. We can act more like him. We can imitate God, was what Scripture tells us. And so whatever it is we're going through, no matter how bad it is, the encouragement to us is this, that really, in a sense, even the bad stuff is good, because if we allow God to use it, it becomes for our good. So we can know him better, we become more like Jesus Christ. The question is, will we respond in trust and obedience? So we can know him? So we can become more like Christ? Or are we going to respond the way we think we should. So it's been 22 years since Joseph was sold by his brothers. He's 39 years old now. So do the math. He was 17. He was 30 when he was put into second in command. He's 39 years. So he's 39 years old. He's got a bunch of stuff that's happened to him in his past. He's sitting really in a good spot. He's second in command. God allowed for him to become second in command. I'm not saying if you and I faithfully go through what we're going through that he's going to make us the vice president. Okay, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that that's what God did for Joseph. Now, he still has stress, right? He's running a nation that's in famine. But he's taken a nation through the seven years of abundance. Now they're into the seven years of famine, and things are bad. And where he's sitting kind of pretty, his dad, Jacob, and his brothers, represented by Judah, they're facing the trials. And so we're going to be able to look at today and compare how these three different groups, if you want to say three different individuals, dealt with um, the pileups that they had, the difficulties that they had. So I'm not going to read all three chapters, you know, but I'm going to hit and miss some spots, fill in the blanks. So let's just kick it off. 42 verse 1, it says this, Now Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, and Jacob said to his sons, Why are you staring at one another? In other words, so this is a dysfunctional family, kind of like, you know, some of our families, right? And so they're all standing around going, oh, there's no food. My tummy hurts, right? <laughs> growly, growly. He's like, what are you looking at each other for? <laughs> Do something. He said, behold, I've heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us from that place so we may live and not die. Then 10 brothers of Joseph went down to buy grain from Egypt. Why all ten? I don't know. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brothers, uh, brother uh, Benjamin, he's not a favored son, with his brothers, for he said, I'm afraid that harm may befall him. Anytime I send somebody with you ten, they don't come back. So I'm not going to send Benjamin. So the sons of Israel came to buy grain. Interesting, sons of Israel now, not Jacob. Sons of Israel, that's his other name that God gave him. Came to buy grain among those who were coming. For the famine was in the land of Canaan also. Now, I have to understand something here. When we read these three chapters, time is passing. They're going to have to walk, depending on where they go, from Hebron where they live to Cairo or Hebron to Thebes, wherever they go, it's, it's anywhere from 500 to over 1,600 miles round trip. That's a long walk. 
Am I not right? Right? Like, if it, we're not going to do this, but we could time me walking to, you know, Burger King. Now, there's food there, so I might move pretty quickly, but it's going to take me a while. Or if I go down to Fremont. I mean, that's a long walk. I don't know how long it would take me. They say the average person walks two and a half to four miles per hour. If they walked five miles per hour, let's say these guys are really good shape. You know, they've been tending sheep and all that kind of stuff. They're out there. They're hardworking. They got like Nike sandals on. They're, they're ready to go. It's going to take them from eight to 27 days, almost a month, probably a month, for them to make this trip. That's a long time to walk. I mean, everything else is a long time, but to walk. Anyways, moving on. Now, Joseph was the ruler over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. Now, this isn't like Joseph, the only Joseph is allowed to take the money, okay? It's just that Joseph's responsible for everybody because this plays into the story a little bit. So it's not Joseph selling it. Not everybody goes because we know that every city was supposed to store grain and then they were supposed to sell the grain from those cities, okay? So we get that point. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. So Joseph's first dream is fulfilled. Back in Genesis 37, remember the dreams that got him in trouble? Well, now it happened. And it doesn't happen just once, by the way. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he disguised himself to them and spoke to them harshly. Now he's speaking Egyptian. He's not speaking Hebrew, he's speaking Egyptian. So he can understand them, they can't necessarily understand him. There's an interpreter at work here. And he said to them, where have you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan, to buy food. Joseph remembered the dreams which he had about them. So let's say you told your family about a dream that you had, and then they sold you into slavery. What's, which one would you remember? <laughs> you know, it's just weird. He remembers the dreams, but he doesn't, he doesn't say he remembers being sold into slavery. Anyways, I just thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, you guys are in my head a little bit here. As, as I'm reading the Bible, you know what I do. So he says, you are spies. You have come to look at the undefended parts of our land. So just real quickly here, a couple observations that I've kind of already made. First of all, why, why did Jacob send all ten brothers? Why not send one or two with a bunch of donkeys? Because the guys aren't carrying these food bags. They're putting them on the donkeys. So they don't need all ten brothers to go down there. At this point, the nine o'clock service went, hmm, hmm. Okay, two of you did it. They're more fun than you guys are. The second question is, how is it that they came to Joseph? How is it they picked the city that Joseph was at selling? And again, we go, hmm. Oh, that was better. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. It's all about me. It makes me feel good. The, the point is this. God is always working his plan. There's, he's, there's no fate involved here. There's no happen chance. This is God directing things. We call, sometimes we call this providence, that God is working all things in the direction he wants them to go in his sovereign will. Joseph could have taken these guys and had his revenge on him. He could have easily taken these guys and killed them right there. You're spies, you're dead. Pharaoh said, you have all control over all people. And no one's going to mess with Joseph. And so Joseph could have said, hey, listen, you're dead to me. You guys are going to be dead for what you did to me. 
Instead, he takes this opportunity and throws him through a few tests. And I think it's something that God's kind of directing him to do. I wouldn't suggest us doing this to other people. You know, I'm going to go up with some tests for these people. But it also does say something like this. Maybe, um, maybe we don't retaliate. Maybe we kind of say, can I, can I work in such a way that I can see if I can trust those that have hurt us? You know, that kind of thing. But anyways, that's not even part of the message. That was free advice. Take it for what it's worth. And so his first test is, will they tell him the truth? So he accuses them of being spies. Now, at this point, they can tell him whatever they want, right? He knows the truth. He could, they could say, hey, no, hey, listen, uh, we're, you know, some 10 guys looking to build a business, you know, whatever. But they don't. They tell him the truth. First of all, they say, hey, we're honest guys. Hmm, well, that might not be exactly the truth, but whatever. They see themselves pretty good. And then they say, hey, we've got a father. Uh, we've got a younger brother who's back with the father. And we had another brother, but he, he's no longer around. He's, he's dead. Uh, he's no longer with us. Again, they're talking to him, but they think he's not there. So no lies, truthful information, kind of pass that test. Okay, these guys, maybe they're changing. They lied to Jacob about Joseph, right? But now they're telling this guy, you know, who could have really done something to him, um, the truth. And so it's good. So now he's going to continue his test. And he says, I'm going to offer you a chance to prove your innocence, a chance to prove that you guys are honest guys, that you are who you are. And he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw you all in prison and one of you can go back to Jacob. And so then he puts them in prison for three days, all of them, in prison for three days to think about it. You know, it's the whole timeout thing, right, with our kids. You're going to sit there and you're going to think about it. Put your nose in the corner. And so he puts them in prison and he wants them to think about this opportunity that he's given them to send one back and the rest stay with him. So how will they respond? Because after three days, Joseph pulls him out of prison and he says, actually, I'm going to switch this up. I'm actually going to send all of you back except for one. Now imagine what they're thinking. Uh-oh, this happened before. Remember? They were all out tending sheep. Jacob said, Joseph, go get your brothers. The expectation would be that they would all come back together. But they came back without Joseph. And now they're all going to come back without one of their brothers. What would they do with this? How are they going to respond? It's interesting because Scripture tells us that at that moment in time when Joseph told them that, that that fear that they felt, that that distress they felt, brought up in their minds what Joseph must have felt 22 years earlier. Isn't that weird? This situation really has nothing to do with that situation, but, be, but God's using that fear and that distress to help them remember what had happened back here. And it says this in verse 21, then they said to one another, Truly we are guilty concerning our brother. Now remember, Joseph is hearing this. He understands their language. They don't understand his. Truly we are guilty concerning our brother because we saw the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us, yet we would not listen. Can you imagine what Joseph must have been screaming in that pit? And as he was being sold and traveling off in this caravan, he's probably yelling to his brother, How could you do this to me? Therefore, this distress 
has come upon us. Again, I don't know how God operates all the time, and I don't know why he does what he does, but he's allowing this distress to bring up to the surface what they had done to Joseph. And so Joseph puts Simeon in jail. He sends them home with food. Really nice, you know. Joseph is a good guy. He's gracious. He's not retaliating. So he sends them back with food. He gives them their money back, which they don't know this yet, and food that they could eat on the way. So it's kind of heaping burning coals on these guys. He's just being nice and gracious and loving to them in spite of what they've done. So as they're traveling along, they stop for the night. And when they stop for the night, one of the brothers, he opens up his food bag and he finds the money, which of course then they all kind of freak out about. And they say, we won't read it, but they say that this is God disciplining us for what we did to Joseph. Again, it brings us up and they're seeing it as a discipline or a judgment from God. Because now if they go back to Egypt, they're going to find out that, hey, you stole money from us. And now Joseph knows that they're not honest men. And now Joseph can take them and kill them if he wants for being thieves. So anyways, finally they arrive home, one brother short. You just imagine Jacob as they're walking up. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. You know, looking for number ten. And so they come to Jacob and they start telling him, hey, we need to take Benjamin back. We've got to do that in order to get Simeon. We had to leave Simeon. And, and so then this happens. Now it came about as they were talking and emptying their sacks, and behold, every man's bundle of uh, money was in his sack. So you can imagine this, right? They're all talking, and, and probably Jacob's yelling, and they're kind of trying to get in, in a word in edgewise with Jacob, and all of a sudden they all pull up and they have money in their food bags. And when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were dismayed. Again, Jacob's probably looking at his boys and saying, what are you doing? You're stealing the money? You tricked the Egyptians? This is not going to bode well. Their, uh, their father Jacob said to them, you have bereaved me of my children. You have taken my children from me. Joseph is no more. Is he? He thinks Joseph is more. We know better, right? Because we're reading back into the story. And Simeon is no more. Is he? Well, from Jacob's perspective, he is. And you would take Benjamin. All these things are against me. These things are piling up one bad thing after another. The famine, no food, sending you guys, leaving Simeon, Sin, Sin, I almost Simeon, you know, now possibly taking bedroom, losing him. He's just looking at it from his perspective. Everything is against him. One car smashing into another, one after another. And then it says this. Oh, I got to finish? My, sorry. So then Jacob says this, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead. Again, is he? Is Joseph dead? And he alone is left. If harm should befall him on the journey you are taking, then you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol in sorrow. In other words, if you guys do this, I'm dead. I've got no more strength. He's an old man at this point. He's just, I'm going to be done and I'm going to die. It will kill me. So Jacob refuses to let Benjamin go. And some people believe that it is as much as two years that their food runs out, it says. So possibly as much as two years, now their food has run out, and Jacob says to the boys, hey, you need to go back down to Egypt. 
Simeon's been sitting in prison for two years. Can you imagine that experience? Wondering what's going on with your brothers and what's taking them so long to come back. And so he says, hey, go back to get some food. Now at this point, Judah, he, he reminds Jacob. So he takes the lead. Judah is the, the fourth oldest. But he takes the lead. It's going to kind of um, foreshadow what's going to happen next week as he uh, takes the lead and as Judah becomes, as we will find out, the, the kingly line of Israel. But he steps up and he, say, he says, listen, I'm going to take personal responsibility for Benjamin. Uh, you can blame me if something goes wrong and I'll have your curse on me for the rest of my life. But if he doesn't go with us, nobody goes. Because if, if we don't do this, everyone's going to die. We're all going to die of starvation if we allow this to happen. So then jo- Jacob, he responds and he's, he's got a really defeated attitude. He says, if I lose my sons, then I lose my sons. In other words, I can't do anything about it. They're all going to die. It's kind of Eeyore. We're doomed. You know, we'll never make it. And so he has this, this um, defeated attitude. Why? Because he's seeing everything with his perspective. He's seeing everything without trusting God and what God might be doing in the situation. So he tells them to take the gifts, take twice the amount of money that they would normally take, take the money that they found in their food bags, and get back to Egypt. So the brothers and Benjamin, they take off. It's going to be another 250 to 800 miles, right, one way. Simeon's been sitting there for two years, waiting for them to come. When they arrive, Joseph has his manager get them and invite them into uh, have lunch with them. Now again, this is kind of weird. Why is this guy inviting us for lunch? They didn't invite everybody to lunch who was buying grain. That would be kind of silly, right? But he invites them to lunch. They tell the manager, hey, listen, we, when we got back, we found all this money. It's actually your money. Sorry, not sure how I got in our bags. But he says, no, no, your, your God has blessed you. I have your money. And so they're all like, okay, well, we'll kind of go with what he says. So they, got, they keep the money. Simeon joins them, and they go into Joseph's house to get ready with their, uh, the gift that Jacob had given him. And then this is how it plays out. When Joseph came home, they brought into, into the house to him the present which was in their hand and bowed to the ground before him. So this is the second time that they've bowed before him. This time, they got Benjamin with them. Then they asked him about their, their welfare and said, Is your old father well of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? And they said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. They bowed down in homage again. So now this is the third time. We'll find out they actually do it a fourth time. All right? As he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, he said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, May God be gracious to you, my son. Now, he probably knew Benjamin from before, but Benjamin was probably you know, three, four years old. So this is time has passed. Joseph hurried out, from, uh, for he was deeply stirred over his brother, and he sought a place to weep, and he entered his chamber and wept there. So guys, men can cry. The second in command in Egypt can, we can. Then he washed his face, and he came out, and he controlled himself and said, Serve the meal. Now, this is pretty interesting. So they, Joseph's servants, served him by himself, and them, the brothers, by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat bread with the Hebrews, for that was, or that is loathsome to the Egyptians. Now, just a side note, there's only 70 Hebrews in the world at this time. This is not the nation of Israel. 
This is the Hebrews prior to becoming the nation of Israel. It's only 70. So it's kind of weird, like, again, you can research it for yourself, but why? Why do they find the Hebrews so loathsome? There's only 70 of them. It doesn't seem any... Anyways, I'll move on. Now, they were seated before him. That idea was they were sat, like somebody came and sat them before Joseph, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in astonishment. They're like, yeah, how does this guy know who's the oldest and who's the youngest? How's, how's this playing out? So Joseph took portions to them from his own table. The Egyptians find it loathsome to eat with Hebrews. But what does Joseph do? He takes food. His food is probably better than the other food that other people were getting. And he takes it from his table. But Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any others. Now, why did he do that? Anyway, so they feasted and drank freely with him. So they get this food. Joseph comes home. They get this food. They're partying together eating, drinking, having a great time. It's weird. They were seated from the oldest to the youngest. How do they know that? Benjamin gets five times as much food. So he's getting five times the filet mignon that everybody else was getting, right? There's five, or maybe turkey, and we're talking about helpings of turkey. He's getting five times cranberry sauce. He's getting five times, you know, pumpkin pie, whatever. He's getting five times as much. Now, why would Joseph do something like that? Why is this such a test? Well, he wants to find out, are you guys still upset with the younger brother, favored brother thing? Because remember, he can, he can understand what they're saying, so he's going to know if they're going to start complaining about it, but evidently, they didn't complain about that. But that's kind of old hat. They don't worry about that anymore because they just all ate and drank together, all of the brothers, in who, you know, however many years, finally eating together. So then Joseph serves up one more test, and the test is, will the brothers give up the favored son? Like what happened to him. That's how it plays out. Then he commanded his house steward, saying, Fill a man's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Again, this, this money keeps showing up. I can't get rid of it. Put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, and his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph had told him. As soon as it was light, the men were sent away, uh, they with their donkeys. They had just gone out of the city and were not far off when Joseph said to his house steward, Hey, up, follow the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks and which he indeed uses for divination? You have done wrong in doing this. So that's what this guy's going to say to them. Now, it's, uh, Joseph doesn't practice black magic. But he doesn't want them to know that he doesn't. He wants to be as Egyptian as possible. So he's, that's why he's saying what he's saying. So he took them and spoke these words to them. And they said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. I mean, brought the money back. Behold, the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks we have brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Why would we do this? So then he said, With whomever of your servants it is found, let him die. Yikes. And we also will be my Lord's slaves. So they're going to say, okay. But he says, now let it also be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my slave, and the rest of you shall be innocent. So he's saying, no, no, no. The thief will stay here, and the rest of you will go back to your dad. Then they hurried. Each man lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack. And behold, he searched, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest. 
and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, which is an Old Testament demonstration of repentance, actually followed into the New Testament. And when each man loaded his donkey, they returned to the city. But would the brothers give up Benjamin? Would they leave him like they left Joseph? Find out that as they get back, they, uh, they meet up with Joseph again. They bow for the fourth time, by the way. And Judah's like, listen, it's either, you know, all of us or none of us, he says to Joseph. Now, of course, he's saying it in a lot, not a lot nicer way than that, right? And so he's like, I, I, can't, I can't go back to my father without one of the brothers, in this case, Benjamin, certainly cannot do this. If we do this, our dad would die. And so Joseph's like, well, listen, you know, I'm a good guy. I'm a good guy. No, that's okay. Just leave one here. You all go back. And then Judah does this. He argues with Joseph. I don't know if you know, but back in the day, you didn't argue with the king or his people in church. But he does. And he says, no. You either got all of us or you don't have any of us. I am not leaving my brother here. I'll stay if you want, but I'm not leaving Benjamin here. So the question is, is Joseph um, give in? Or what did Joseph do? You have to come back next week um, for that. Or you can read Ahead. Feel free to read ahead. But today what I want to do is I want to finish up this morning just quickly running through um, just these different responses. Jacob's, Judah's representing the brothers, and, and Joseph, and how they dealt with um, their pileup of issues, their difficulties that they had gone through in their lives. And these will be our takeaways. So for some of you, my prayers and what God I think would want us to know from this is, is to learn to not do or not view circumstances the way Jacob did. Trust God. Trust that God's got a plan, that God is working out what he wants to work out in your life. And again, in our situation today is that he wants to reveal who he is, that through your circumstances, he wants you to know he's your provider, that he's the one who will care for you, that he's the one who will give you peace, that he's the one who will give you wisdom. And he wants you to become, if you're a Christian, to become more like Christ. See, Jacob based his decisions only on his perspective. Joseph is dead. Simeon is probably dead. Benjamin will probably die if he goes with you. This is not a good situation. You guys keep on messing up my life. They're not, he's not seeing it as that God is at work. Listen, this, this is the guy, by the way, who... Earlier, we haven't read this, but earlier, he met up with God. He and God had a personal interaction. They actually said they wrestled. Which I know sounds weird, but he wrestled with God. And in the end, God said, hey, listen, Jacob, I'm going to call you Israel because you've wrestled with God. I'm going to give you a name, Israel. That's the nation, right? And then he says, I'm going to protect you. And I'm going to... Where is that Jacob here? Where's, where's the one who met God and God said, I'm going to provide for you and protect you? Listen, we who are Christians, we who have met with God, 
you want to put it that way? We who say, God, you're providing and protecting not just for this world, but for our eternity. Listen, we can trust him to provide for us. We can trust him to take care of us. Jacob put his entire family at risk because of his self-focused perspective. He also demonstrated an attitude of defeat. He said, if I lose my children, I'll lose my children. Again, this is kind of a, a defeatist attitude, a discouraged attitude. Esther, back in the Old Testament, when she stood up to the king, she was like, if I die, I die. It wasn't like, oh, well, if I die, I die. No, she's like, I'm going to do this. This is the right thing. God wants me to do this, and if I die, I die. It was more of a defiant kind of a, hey, man, this is a great example for us. Jacob's not giving us an example of a good example. He's just like, oh, giving up on it. And so I, I brought back this quote from last week because I think it's, Really important. It's a great point. The secret to victory in traumatic circumstances is to see with the eye of man, our eyes, the way we see things, the hand of God in every circumstance and event. So, for you who are maybe in that situation, the takeaway for you is that you see that the trials that you're going through it's something that God's allowing into your life in order to um, help you see him, to, to work, uh, to let him work in your life. This other one that we have here is for his brothers or Judah. And so for some of you, you need to see your trials as, as God bringing up in your own heart and mind something that you've been holding a sin that you've been hiding. And you need to get that right with God. Again, it's weird how this all works, but the brothers, they were carrying this weight of sin, this weight of guilt, this lying to Jacob to, and selling their brother for 22 years. Can you imagine the weight of guilt that they must have carried? And, and God, using Joseph, allowed them to, to bring that to the surface, to see that there was a need and so I don't know how God's working in your life, but maybe he's bringing this to the surface. And so the emotional distress that you're feeling, the, the difficulties that you have in just, in just feeling distraught and worked up, maybe for you, you need to spend time with God and say, okay, God, what is it that I need to get right with you or get right with somebody else? Now, how do we know that this is what happened with him? How do we know that Judah and his brothers grew spiritually and came out of this thing there's a bunch of different reasons why, but the first one, and probably the one we're going to deal with just this morning, is the fact that he stood up to Joseph and risked his life for Benjamin. Judah was the guy years ago, 22 years ago, he was the one who instigated the selling of Joseph. He couldn't make things up or make things right with Joseph. At least he didn't think he could. He's going to be able to. He, he didn't know he could do that, so what he did was, well, I can't do that for Joseph, but I can certainly do that for Benjamin. I'm going to stand up for Benjamin and for his life. And so for you to, to get with God, ask him to forgive you of that sin. Ask those, if it's other people involved, ask those to forgive you of your sin. And if I could just say one more thing with that, and that's this, that then find somebody in our church family who will walk with you through that, help you and encourage you and to help you through whatever spiritual growth, or whatever decisions you might need to make moving forward to get that worked out. And then the last one is this. 
Like Joseph, some of you might be in a position where somebody's hurt you, where you have the power, where you could, you know, have your revenge on somebody, where you could lash out and you could injure somebody for what they've done to you. And so for you, let me just challenge you from what God's Word says here in Joseph's example to respond with grace. Joseph has always responded in grace, it seems. Every situation he's gone through, whether it was his brothers or not, he's always responding in grace. He never seemed to complain. He always trusted God and did what God wanted him to do. Trusting God will allow us to respond in grace because we know God's got it. God's going to be working in that situation. He didn't take revenge on his brother. He didn't brothers. He didn't lash out at his brothers. In fact, well, all he did is he heaped more and more good on them. And then God used that, by the way. God used his grace in their lives to help them repent of their sin, which is really kind of an interesting dynamic that we don't ever really put into play. God uses Joseph to help his brothers. And so if you're in that position, then the challenge for you is to respond to those who have injured you, the circumstances that you're facing, with grace, to give grace to those who need it. Well, as we stand, you can go ahead and stand. Just remember this one thing. Actions speak louder than words. So no matter what you're going through, no matter the circumstances that you're facing, no matter how many of those things are coming your way, demonstrate your trust in God by responding as he commands you to respond and let him deal with the details and the outworking of that situation. Let's pray.